Alrighty, Happy New Year 2021. Um, it's great to say that. And hope we're, hopefully we're uh, going to continue moving forward from the clusterfuck of a year we just went through. Um, there's probably plenty of challenges ahead, but um, yeah, really excited to be just talking about being in a new year that doesn't have the, the stench of 2020 hanging over it. Um, yeah, it's a bit of a special episode here that was recorded a couple of weeks ago in the wake of the uh, HBO Max Warner Brothers uh, streaming deal and all that controversy there and our thoughts on that one, um, kind of the future of cinema a little bit, I guess we're talking about, and as well as just some of our uh, movie discoveries of the year. But yeah, main, main uh, forward uh, front end chunk of this podcast is about HBO Max and Warner Brothers and streaming and kind of how how we see cinema moving forward or the, the movie theatre experience in particular moving forward um, and how that kind of plays out for the rest of the uh, cinematic uh, landscape as far as getting movies made and all that stuff and um, all the we're not no experts in all this stuff but we just have our <laughs> just understand it from our perspective so yeah a little bit of a special episode as we to um, yeah like I said recorded a couple of weeks ago but getting us into 2021 and yeah hope you enjoy and let's get into it all righty pints of popcorn uh, back this week with Shay on the other line twist topped is a uh, is op- open bottle of wine this time, so he's um. There's not not so much drama at the start of this podcast as there has been a, a, on others. <laughs> I was also supposed to be sober this month, um, as I said. I think at the start of uh, one of the pods, but uh, well, you know, 2020 is uh, coming to an end, and I just decided to not see it out. So. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, well, uh, so we were talking off air that like the next pod we do um, is going to be recorded over the Christmas break. It's not going to be Christmas themed in any way uh, beyond that. We're just, I think, we're both just going to find a film that we both like enjoy at a more like just just a fun film, and we're both going to have some beers and talk about it. So <laughs> um, that'll be the end of my little sober period. So yeah, the first year of pints and popcorn. Yeah, coming yeah. To an- yeah, I mean, we started the podcast in April, and like, so we'll be going, like getting clear about. Yeah, we're like coming to the end of the calendar. I can't. I couldn't even remember. I was like, did we start it like in January or like? I don't. I did not remember. It was I honestly. It was definitely started when we shut down. Like, like I had to- actually time to finally like coalesce the idea that because we you and you and me had been circling this for like a couple of years, really. Um, really, but we yeah, I just yeah. hadn't had the time to actually just like find a name and like well it, it didn't take long it's just get the name get a logo up and then like once you've got that you start feeling like okay all i have to do is record now like um which is the easy part yeah. as always with us like and and throwing the, the hard f- part is like trying to fi- like i mean it's, especially like the earlier episodes it was like trying to find our footing you know yeah. especially with like difficult films like midsomar which i don't regret doing by any means but like that's a hard film to like get your footing to yeah, when you're yeah. trying to entertain people, <laughs> but it's an amazing film. And yet it was one of, I mean, not to jump the gun, but one of my great discoveries of this year from yeah. you yeah, and the general populace. Yeah. So like, yeah, for today's podcast, we're not actually talking about any in- individual movie. We're going to talk a bit about the news about the HBO max um, or Warner brothers, uh, releasing a bunch of their um stable films really of the next year um for a month on hbo max simultaneously with the cinema release which has ruffled some feathers 
around the cinema world. And then, um, then we're just going to talk about some of our favorite film discoveries. I think in future years, what we'd like to do is talk about our favorite films of the year. But because this year being 2020, uh, we both kind of realized like there's a lot of films that released to streaming. And um, I've seen a few like seen a few that a few 2020 films that will be in my favorite discoveries but we don't actually have enough movie going experience this year due to the fact i mean shay hasn't had a cinema that he could go to for what is it nine months now that you, the cinemas have been shut where you are or have they opened up I don't yeah. Know. yeah i mean they've been open i like i think connecticut opened them again like maybe in september but like to limited viewing and then there were just no films to be yeah well, that's the had yeah. really and so it's just like I mean, what's like? It's just all came crashing down, I guess. But like the last film I I saw in theaters was 1917, which feels like it came out five years ago. And I don't mm. mean to like like go on that old trope now that we've all been dealing with in 2020 is like oh 2020 felt has felt like five years, but like well, there's a reason. It definitely that, a feels reason, like 1917 was not this. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, yeah, and it really has felt like that, and like that's the last movie I saw, and it was a really great experience for me. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we, you know, if you haven't heard it, go back and listen to our episode about 1917. Yeah, two, I talked in detail yeah. about seeing that in the theaters, and uh, yeah, I, <laughs> it's just really difficult because, and I told you off air that, you know, I was looking through my favorite films of 2020 and I, and like to do that, I had to like look at a list because I really couldn't think of any like brand new films. And then like, I was looking at all the best of um, years and I hadn't seen any of them. So mm-hmm. it was like, yeah, this, this is like a, we- or a weird year for everybody, regardless of what type of films you like, because I don't think you and I like exactly the same type of films. Obviously we overlap a bit, but yeah. Yeah. We have like, yeah, you would like, I mean, yeah, <laughs> we've we've taught, joked a lot about my my love of horror and that and the the fact that the entire the entire horror genre is the one that I can kind of forgive the bad ones because they're still entertaining in a stupid way. So, um, but yeah, you know, we overlap a lot and 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 we often find like if we send each other a film, like I'm not going to send Shay like some of the the real like I'm not going to send him the recommendation for like Doom Asylum from 1987 because that movie is bad, but I enjoy it because it's just <laughs> but like but then I'll send him like. Yeah, hereditary, hereditary, which is also in the horror genre, but it's got something more going on, and that's why. And then you do the same. You do the same. Like you know that if a film is good, even if it's not something that you think is something that I generally watch, if it's a good film, I'm going to enjoy it because I I appreciate films that tell a good story, or doing something whether it's either storytelling or the aesthetic of it. Some films are just visually striking, and 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 they're an art. Uh, like you know, Midsummer kind of dances the line of both because that movie is just both um, visually intoxicating as well <laughs> as well as having that actually really great and sinister kind of story going on and, and a lot of themes but it just even if you even if you were just drunk and were not even listening to the film you'd you'd enjoy the yeah pints of popcorn <laughs> you'd enjoy the like the experience of being in um being in that world um for those couple of hours or two and a half hours at midsummer is because it's just visually quite stunning and the sound the soundscape of the movie as well so yeah it's like, i think we made so much Oh, sorry to interrupt. Finish your. Thought. I was just saying we both we both kind of understand that even that film is there's so much more so much you can get out of films even if they're not like in your your uh, you know genre that you go to the most like um, so yeah we'll, we'll, there's a lot of film discoveries that you you gave to me this year as well as that uh, likewise to you that I think we found this year because of that mutual respect of knowing that you know even if 
we'll enjoy a good film no matter w- what kind of genre it's in because a good film is good film. So yeah, and I think we try. I I think our goal was to try to reflect what was going on in our current reality beyond the pandemic, which there was a lot of social change and there was a lot of social meaning in every month and it differed every month. And I think our big goal was to try to reflect that. Like we don't want to just be a podcast that, you know, does like bad boys two movies, even though we could do that all the time, because like, I think like way back in the day at the O bar, like we were talking about (laughs) bad boys two all the time because it's so much fun. But we were also talking about like the bigger ideas of film and stuff like that. And I think that's what we want to do. And, I think the fact that we started this podcast in this year where it would be the most difficult year, like I think that's a good thing. Mm -hmm. I think it forced us to try to find deeper meaning and stuff. And we even had the time to find deeper meaning and stuff, which is kind of different from our everyday lives when there's not a pandemic going on. You Mm -hmm. know, you don't want to sit down and really inspect a film like Parasite, um, especially you know, I'm just speaking for the bulk of America because obviously it's not a very smart nation. <laughs> a lot of people don't want to sit down and read a movie. And I'm not saying that you or I are. I'm, I'm going to bring it. I have no problem with it. When, but... we, when we start talking about this uh, HBO Max stuff, there was an incredible quote from uh, Aaron Sorkin in there about how they worked out whether to do the trial of Chicago 7 as Netflix or a cinematic release. Um, as you'll just say it now, basically, like, because he was talking about the, the process um, of working out if they will stream it or not in this current climate. Um, and he basically said they did a poll of who would go to the cinema and who wouldn't see a movie. And he said most of the people who said they would go to the cinema are the ones that don't believe COVID is real. And he was like, they're not going to go see the trial of Chicago. They're 7. not going to care about the Chicago <laughs> Seven. They they're, they're going to think those guys are terrorists. Yeah. So uh, and it, like, it was incre- it was from incre- what I've heard is amazing. Yeah. So no, but like, it was an incredible quote that kind of sums up America and movies and America as society in 2020. That they basically went, yeah, Netflix will be fine because we're not going to make any money out of that because the only people that are going to go to the movies aren't seeing it. So incredible actually incre- i was stunned when i read it i was like that is yeah a- i don't mean to be a dick by saying this but i'm pretty sure marvel could have released a movie and it still would have done in- exceptionally well <laughs> to be fair to be fair marvel does straddle both and, and there's plenty of good people that enjoy the marvel films too so we're not gonna yeah exactly yeah no i prefaced it <laughs> but <laughs> i don't i just don't I do think it still would have made over 100 mil in the opening weekend and like regardless of covid yeah. and yeah like it's just the thing and like that's not what i'm looking for in films and you know i think we're gonna get into that kind of thing because we've talked off air <laughs> via text about you know there being room for big cinema budgets to make sure that mm. kind of more of the movies i like overall are because i just don't really i like i haven't I can't really name a big blockbuster film that I like have been truly dying to see, um, well, unless uh, you really well, like 19, unless you tell me to. Nineteen Seventeen is a big budget film. Like that's what that's not, that is true. Like a, a films, Jojo Rabbit was not a big budget film, but that's still a, that's still in a major studio system and stuff like that. And then, 
and you know Taika Waititi went to Jojo Rabbit via the Marvel Cinematic Universe after doing Thor Ragnarok. Yeah, and and actually, he his film like Thor Ragnarok is widely known as one of the favorites in the Marvel Cinematic Universe because of his unique. Yeah, I might like that one actually because of his unique storytelling and like it's still it's still like a Thor film, but. It has a unique quirkiness to it that only Tiger could bring to it. He's also voices one of the characters himself in it too, which is great. But <laughs> um, so yeah, it's like there is a lot of like we we talk about a lot of people when you and we're, we're, we started off doing the same thing when we talk about big budget films. We start immediately go Marvel films, but there is actually a lot of films out there that are big budget that are also. And I mentioned off air, like you know, Arrival was a decently. That was a risky film because of the, the uniqueness of that plot and the fact that it's an alien invasion film that actually isn't. Um, but, you know, and, and then Denis Villeneuve did that one and that's and we're getting to that is like the HBO Max thing is, um, I mean, I guess to sum it up, I, well, let's get into that now before because I know we'll, we'll start rattling on about our favourite film. Might as well. Yeah. Might as well get into it. Look, what I'll do is, I, I, I don't know, have you read Denis Villeneuve's um, piece that he did in Variety? No, I was gonna. I was hoping you would break it down. Well, I'm just gonna. It's only a couple of. It'll be a, a minute or two of reading, but I think it's really important. It's a really great. He's, yeah. I'll I run. mean, I read like the the subhead of it, yeah. and like you know, like. It's only gonna take me a minute to read, so. I'll, yeah, I'll, I'll I have no it. problem I'll, with I'll that. I would love you to do that. All right. So this is Den- Denis Villeneuve wrote his own. Did I like, chug wine the entire time you do it? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> To go out in a flourish? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd finish in a bit, and Chase passed out. <laughs> <laughs> and I no, I'm excited I to hear it. I, like, I saw the subhead of it. I saw the headline. Like, yeah. I saw the headline. And there's know. plenty of quotes from others, because uh, Nolan, Apatow, and um, like I said, Sorkin's already had his piece about it too, but I'll, I'll read the vanilla news. And there was another one just the other day, um, the Dune director. That's, is that who you're that's talking about? Yeah, Denis Villeneuve does, is doing it. Okay, so, yeah. yeah. So I did read. Yeah. He's, he's, yeah been, but... oh, he's been well quoted the last few days because of it, but I'll read the, the entire piece is really good. So I'll All read. right. <clears throat> Clear the throat. All right, so he writes in Variety. I learned in the news that Warner Brothers has decided to release Dune on HBO Max at the same time as our theatrical release, using prominent images from our movie to promote their streaming service. With this decision, AT&T has hijacked one of the most respectable and important studios in film history. There is absolutely no love for cinema nor for the audience here. It is all about the survival of a telecom mammoth, one that is currently bearing an astronomical debt of more than $150 billion. Therefore, even though Dune is about cinema and audiences, AT&T is about its own survival on Wall Street. With HBO Max's launch a failure thus far, AT&T decided to sacrifice Warner Brothers' entire 2021 slate in a desperate attempt to grab the audience's attention. Warner Brothers' sudden reversal from being a legacy home for filmmakers to the new era of complete disregard draws a clear line for me. Filmmaking is a collaboration reliant on the mutual trust of a teamwork and Warner Brothers have declared that they are no longer on the same team. Streaming services are a positive and powerful addition to the movie and TV ecosystems. But I want the audience to understand that streaming alone can't sustain the film industry as we know it, knew it before COVID. Streaming can produce great content, but not movies of Dune's scope and scale. Warner Brothers' decision means Dune won't have the chance to perform financially in order to be viable and, pi- and piracy will ultimately triumph. Warner Brothers might have killed the Dune franchise. This one is for the fans. AT&T's John Stanky said that the streaming horse left the barn. In truth, the horse left the barn for the slaughterhouse. Public safety comes first. Nobody argues with that, which is why when it became apparent the winter would bring a second wave of the pandemic, 
I understood and supported the decision to delay Dune's opening by almost a year. The plan was that Dune would open in theatres in October 2021 when vaccinations would be advanced and hopefully the virus behind us. Science tells us that everything should be back to our new normal next fall. Dune is by far the best movie I've ever made. My team and I devoted more than three years of our lives to make it a unique big screen experience. Our movie's image and sound were meticulously designed to be seen in theatres. I'm speaking on my own behalf, though I stand in solidarity with the 16 other filmmakers who now face the same fate. Please know I'm with you and that together we are strong. The artists are the ones who create movies and series. I strongly believe the future of cinema will be on the big screen, no matter what any Wall Street dilettante says. Since the dawn of time, <laughs> humans have, been, have deeply needed communal storytelling experiences. Cinema on the big screen is more than a business. It is an art form that brings people together, celebrating humanity, enhancing our empathy for one another. It's one of the very last artistic, in-person, collective experiences we share as human beings. Once the pandemic is over, theatres will be filled again with film lovers. That is my strong belief. Not because the movie industry needs it, but because we humans need cinema as a collective experience. So, just as I have both uh, fiduciary and creative responsibility to fulfil as the filmmaker, I call on AT&T to act swiftly with the same responsibility, respect and regard to protect this vital cultural medium. Economic impact to stakeholders is only one aspect of corporate social responsibility. Finding ways to enhance culture is another. The movie-going experience is like no other in those darkened theatres. Films capture our history, educate us, fuel our imagination and lift and inspire our collective spirit. It is our legacy. Long live theatrical cinema. Signed, Denis Villeneuve. That, like, there is a lot. Yeah, it hits. <laughs> that slaps. Yeah. Um, and he, think, he touches on a yeah. few bits there that then um, a few other articles written by people that are actually like understand the s system go into it. But I'll let, I'll let you react to it first since now you've heard it. Hopefully I read it clearly. <laughs> oh, absolutely. I think you reading it like did more for me than me actually reading it. Because I like scan shit because that's how American culture treat like affects you you to treat everything is just to scan it and be able to regurgitate it but uh yeah i think yeah it's just uh this year like i don't know if we'll ever truly recover from this year because it did like throw a wrench into a system that was really working for cinema i think mm. you know and like not for everybody but i think it was working for you know there were like art house films were still being made and still being celebrated mm -hmm. big budget films were being made and yeah i just don't really i guess i didn't really understand that at&t was the company that was you know really yeah they, at the like, control of all of this mm -hmm. and like it makes me like long for a day for like a union buster or a trust buster like Theodore Roosevelt, like over a hundred years ago, mm. <laughs> <laughs> like in this country. And I think it's a huge detriment to this country that the fact that AT&T can own the rights to major market films. Yeah. AT&T started as a cellular service from what I understand. And they got so big that they can now control movies and things yeah, well, of that AT &T, nature. Where, where is the monopoly bust? Yeah, well, it's AT and T and Time Warner that are like those the companies, and then um, Time Warner is like hardly a thing anymore, though. Yeah, well, they're part of it, but it's like yeah, that um, Time Warner became Spectrum. Mm -hmm. Like 
it's this is a humongous problem the United States is facing is that we're we're allowing monopolies again. We're allowing cellular phone service companies to own movies and everything like that. And be wrapped up in and HBO and vice versa. And right wrapped up in HBO and all that like yeah. Well that's that's um that's 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 part of it's the, a problem. Well, I mean, that's part of the legal issues that are that are going to be faced in the next few weeks with this, is because like I don't think HBO and all you know the parent companies in AT and T and whatnot realize that the filmmakers aren't just going to take this line down. Like Legacy Pictures, which is a I think no legendary, uh, it's one of them, one of the companies that were the financiers of Dune and the King Kong movie as well. Um, I think they've got a 75% stake in both movies, so they're the, the chief financier of both films. They've come out and said, no, you can't do this. We're gonna, they're, they're lawyering up. So, like, HBO, you know, AT&T are doing this because HBO Max is, at the moment is a failing service. And so it's obviously, it's a, like, if HBO Max was doing great and no, and they weren't worried about the I money. do enjoy HBO Max. I'm yeah, but, like, but you're, you're one of few. But... <laughs> um, I am using my dad's HBO access, so... <laughs> Uh, so you're one of the subscribers that they wish they had. <laughs> um, yeah, well, fuck them. Yeah, but fuck like, all of these subscriber-based systems. It's like maybe there should be a monopoly on fucking sub- subscriber-based systems because I have a billion subscriptions to everything. Yeah, well, that's like the thing is like it, it, you know, and and this is another thing that's come up in the reading about this is like basically streaming and versus cinema was kind of coming to a head, you know, behind behind closed doors at, over the last few years. Like, not that they were actually... It's just... It's more the power battle of, like, how is the new the dynamic going to work in the next 10, 20 years? And this year is, like, seen streaming, you know, obviously do well because no one can leave the house. Um, but Exactly. It, like, it, this it's, year it's is when, an outlier. But like, when streaming starts encroaching year? on that, there was, a, there, were, there was, like, a... There was a barrier between streaming and still the theatrical... The theatrical release window <laughs> is still a, a sacred thing. And this this that's what's the problem with, like, Denis and and co have found is like th- that sacred barrier has been broken now. And when a, a film like Dune directed by like Denis Villeneuve is a well-known director of with an ar- artistic flair for what he's trying to do and the stories he tells, you know, he took, um, he took, um, uh, I'm, f- I'm completely blanking on the guy's name, even though I, I, uh, I the writer of Hell or High Water, um, Taylor Sheridan, um, he wrote... There you go. Wrote, I was, like, going to yeah. say, you're the one who always preaches I talk about him all the time like, and in the name. <laughs> it's always... I, I, it's my major, major problem and why podcasting is a good training for me because I always forget things in the moment. So it's, But Taylor Sheridan wrote Sicario and Denis Villeneuve came in and, and, and took that script and made it. Like, obviously, Sheridan's writing is very apparent in that, but it was a great director came in and, and it was a great collaboration. Then he did... Uh, he did the Blade Runner twenty forty nine and took the, and made that, yep. that that film is fantastic Arrival, um, and now he's and now he's taken Dune, which is one of the most beloved sci fi um, books of the I think it came out probably fifty sixty years ago now it's it's been around a long time and is a beloved it's property. been around forever um, yeah. so um, and he's taken that which is you know one of the big you know a lot of genre fans are really ex- uh, incredibly excited for that film it's got an incredible cast and um, a lot of money put into it and. And has been talked about for a couple of years now. And as Denise said himself, he's like really proud of it. And it's, there's three years of work, hard work going into it. And the the thing the thing is, movies y- we can watch once they come out on DVD, video streaming, whatever. We can watch them however we want, whether it's just on our laptop with the headphones or whatever. But they are designed like these films, especially these days, ones of this scale, are um, very meticulously designed, as he said, to have the soundscape and all that stuff work in a theater. And whether it's 
uh, IMAX or wherever it's your home home theater system, it is designed for the best experience possible. And, and the sacred thing is, the only way you should be able to see it first is at a cinema. Um, and I, it sounds like Denis would be happy with it being delayed to when that can happen. Like, and films get delayed all the time for many a myriad of reasons. You know, Cabin in the Woods like actually came out like two two or three years afterwards, and it was only because Chris Hemsworth suddenly got famous. They were like, "Oh, let's let's release this finally now." But you know, films films don't once they're you know wrapped in a can, it's obvious. I watched that for the first time this year. Sorry I, yeah, there's that. there's one of your film discoveries, and that's why it came into my head. I was like, you know this movie, so because uh, Hemsworth <laughs> Hemsworth looks very young in that one. It was, it's because it was only came, he does. It felt it, like it was filmed like ten years ago. It came, yeah, it was filmed like a few years before it actually finally came out. So, so like obviously there's reasons they release as soon as like because there's financiers that have got money tied up in the deals. So these major movies they want to get out in a timely manner because delays do cost money but at this time if you know the stakeholders like especially the creators want to delay the movie until it can be seen properly you know nolan took a chance with tenet and it worked out all right because there's no other movies still would have made more money in normal times but it, you know there was no other movies to see so um, i just also think like tenet wasn't that good i haven't seen it I, but like i've heard some i've it's kind of, has it. It's had a similar response. I haven't. I still haven't seen it myself just because I didn't get down to the cinema. I think I, it might actually still be out at some cinemas in Adelaide because they don't have much else to show. <laughs> but, exactly. Um, and like that, yeah. But, you know, like, but the response I yeah. heard is very similar to what the response I heard to Interstellar as well. You either loved it or hated it for some reason. So well, I haven't seen I've, Interstellar at this point, but yeah. uh, I've heard some people that really enjoyed Tenet. So and then I've heard some people like seen some. Yeah. I mean, I'll see it, but yeah. like. I don't know. It's just never been at the front of my list. And like, kind of like we were talking off air about like, I was like, if Chicago, if the trial of the Chicago seven was in theaters mm-hmm. and everything was normal, I would have seen that film by now. Yeah. I would have seen that. By now. And I probably would have seen tenant too, just mm-hmm. to go to the cinema, have some popcorn and watch it and stuff. But since it wasn't, well, it was in the cinema, but like, I didn't feel safe going yada, 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 yeah. obviously, you know, like, Basically, anybody listening to this know that when I talk about a film, maybe it was released. Maybe it was released, but I didn't feel comfortable going to a cinema. Mm-hmm. And that's the big thing. It's like, yeah, a lot of these films were really like, if somebody's listening to this and you're like, oh, no, actually, all those films were released in cinema and you could have gone and seen it. But yeah, I get that. But like, I didn't, didn't want to risk my own health or risk anybody else's health. Or anything of that nature just to go see a, a movie, mm-hmm. you know? And especially in uh, living in Connecticut, they, they lock down theaters pretty hard. So I think they're open now. But it's again, it's kind of like you said. It's like, yeah, they have nothing to show. And, like, I would love to go, but it's just insane here. Like, yeah. Sorry, I'm just reading. I'm trying to get my other article up that had some quotes. But, um, yeah, I... The HBO Max thing, I think what hit home a few things of the, that he said in that um, Villeneuve writing was basically the, um, I'm trying to go back to it, but. Um, I can obviously see the anger at it. Yeah, well, this, this is, the, I think the crux of it is that, um, and that's the other, sorry, the other, uh, that's where I was getting to. Judd Apatow has come out and said that basically it, what they've done is a big, he said he was, I think it was Apatow that said he was stunned by it because he said it showed a, a complete lack of disrespect to the filmmakers because, and he's someone, and Avatar's got an interesting. He's made films for HBO. Yeah, and, yes. well, and, and Avatar also has released a film that was in normal times, The King of Staten Island, 
was going to be in theatres this year, but he and he said he and he basically said he was thankful for Universal because he he dealt with Universal for the release of King of Staten Island. And he said what they did was they talked about it. It was as simple as that. He said they talked about it. They went through, worked out what the best. And in Apatow was left with the Apatow was given the power to say yes, I would like to release it now because I just think it, the timing of the film and whatever else, and I'd like to get it out now because it's just people will enjoy maybe seeing this at this time while they're having a tough year. So he said that, that film mm. is absolutely of the moment too. It needed to be released now yeah. because if you release King of Staten Island next year, like all of the references, it's very current. Yeah, and that might that, be that might be like it's yeah. It, like, yeah, no, you are I, right. It needed yeah. to be released this year in this, and they had it in the can, so it's like release. Yeah, yeah. But and the thing is, if he he. The point of that being is he he felt he had like universal and he had a collaboration and they also what they did um, and this is the other side and I don't understand the intricate nature of finances with movies and residuals but I understand the base of the fact that the box box office numbers are incredibly important to how a film is seen of uh, course and the opening weekend and then you carry on and then it carries down like basically like when a film's released the, the money doesn't stop flowing for like you know you writers of big films from 20 years ago still get resi- you know there's residual checks that come, oh, absolutely. come yeah. in and but that starts you're you you start making money from the top and a lot of money from the top and then it trickles down but so when the the other, I mean beyond that so well what Apatow said was basically they worked out the pay beyond actually working out if they wanted to do it or not and agreeing to it with the Universal they also actually worked out how to restructure the payment so people would get properly compensated by a film that wasn't going to be released the traditional way so I don't know what that breakdown was but he said we were happy with it we worked out to make sure all the key stakeholders and the people involved in the process were going to get paid and then we and then we made a decision and it went to streaming and people have bought it rented it. Whatever they've done, I, I rented it a few weeks ago and enjoyed it. So, like, I've you know th- that's money. Yeah. But you know that's the that's the key difference, and that's what he said. He says in his article because he because he said he was stunned by it, and he said he he'd feel he was deeply offended by the fact that didn't because Denis found out in the news that is the biggest kick in the ass that you could ever give a director of his stature, and let alone the others that that are involved in this too. You know, you've got the guy at the Matrix and a lot of big films next year that are all in the same boat and basically all of them found out in the news. Then they were not given, none of them were given a courtesy phone call even to say, this is what's happening. They just found out in the news and that's, they should have, I mean, a courtesy phone call to say that that it's happening and then releasing it still would have been a, like, we just still would be in the same situation we are now because they wouldn't have consulted them. But geez, to not even give them the phone, it's just like, there's clearly a desperate cash grab to try to prop up HBO Max, which is what, I think has pissed them off beyond the creative and the art side of it. And there's the, the bigger issues with what cinema is going to look like in the future. It's just, it's just the basic disrespect and, um, and the lack of, and it's because of the guys that are now the head of AT&T and Warner brothers and, and all that stuff. They're all people that are from outside the Hollywood system. So there's all these outsiders that come in that, are, uh, I think one of the guys was the founder of Hulu. So he's like, obviously a clear, uh, streamer he's he's from that world and and then yeah then the, there's just others that basically um and it is a little bit of insider trading too because they've come in taken taken the properties from warner brothers and put them on hbo max so it's like there's actually legal battles coming now too because they're like we didn't even get a chance to 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 um put the product out in the open market to see if what apple plus would uh, apple tv netflix because they they didn't get so it's you didn't actually even give it the proper market to say if we are gonna, we're gonna go streaming for this 
simultaneously, if you said to Denis, this is what we're going to do, well, okay, I'll go out and see which, and put it out for auction to Netflix, HBO Max, exactly. TV, and yeah. see who will pay the most for Dune's exclusive rights for that month. So they didn't even get that. So there's exactly. a, yeah, there's and an, that's yeah, how it should be. Yeah. And I think that's happened with a, a bunch of other stuff as well. well I that's mean, how, that's how it generally Netflix, works. Is, yeah, people buy the. People. I mean, they also try to lock the, down those guys though with contracts. So like those contracts are, you know. Well, that's another thing because, uh, you know, Sandler's got a contract with Netflix. Uh, Mike Flanagan, the guy that did Hordes. Oh, everybody has a contract with Netflix. Any good comedian has a contract with Netflix or Amazon. That's that's their rights to, too. If they want to, if they get. Oh, yeah, I have no problem with that. But, like, it fucking sucks. It's like, man, like, I. Oh, man. I don't want to sound old, but I am old at this point because it is like, man, like, there should be a respect. Back for it. Like, I think we're taking a leap further than we ever have before. Mm. Even from going from like radio, well, probably not going from radio to like actual motion pictures because mm. like that literally like gave people heart attacks. But like, we're taking the next step of like taking a group experience away from millions of people of enjoying a film together. Mm. Like, Obviously not at once, but like simultaneously, we're taking that away from people just in the means of profit, and it is a problem. But I don't think it's going to matter. Is the problem? I don't like. I don't think like like AT and T being in control of a film. Like, what do they care if they're like making people feel worse because they can't go see a film in a theater? They don't care as long as their the money is being made. Well, that, I mean that's. It's a- Monopoly, like AT and T, is in charge of this shit. AT and T, they have nothing to do with films or entertaining people or anything. We need a fucking trustbuster. We need Theodore Roosevelt, but like late stage capitalism doesn't provide that nuanced politician to us. Mm-hmm. It's all just bullshit. So sorry. No, no, you're right. I'll Again, go. I was doing sober December, and then I started drinking today, and I don't really want to talk about why <laughs> on the podcast, especially because it is just a soccer team. Uh, honestly, but, like, if anyone that's listening to us is actually actually knows us uh, personally as well, they know exactly why we're usually drinking. It's because of sports. <laughs> yeah, and why I'm like lambasting these motherfuckers. Like, why is AT and T in any control of anything that has to do with films? Yeah, and they're a fucking cellular company. No, well, they're, they're just they're, they're, they're a fucking monopoly. Yeah, you know, it's just a Wall Street. We, it's just a Wall Street thing, and that's what and that's what it's a deep and that's what um I think uh, Apatow said as well. It's deeper problems in Hollywood is you've got these and Villeneuve even said you know the Wall Street he's <laughs> very very powerfully written. He's just said the Wall Street dilettantes that that are controlling this stuff, and that's the that's the problem is you've got and it's a you know it's a I guess a problem in the world as well as creators versus stake and and you know the people that put the money into these things do have a stakehold in it but then the creators you don't you don't you're not making money off this stuff without the creators either so you've got to keep them happy and and what a lot of people have said as well is that warner brothers for years were often uh, you know warner brothers are one of the you know legacy companies of in in hollywood they're one of the big companies in hollywood and they've for years been a filmmaker friendly place and they said what this has done is this is going to send everyone that has 
been working with Warner Brothers to go to you know your other big companies and, and any and other company. The, yeah, the, yeah. The Warner Brothers has broken. It's not just a small breach. They it, fucked it, themselves. It, it is a major. Is one of the like is is a power shift moment in the Hollywood history, and we'll look back and where how it goes from hen, hen forward is is why we I guess what we're just chatting shit about right now. But like, it is a major breach in trust to one of the major p- power players in Hollywood, and and it's going to have all the filmmakers. Yeah, how how are you going to convince? Because uh, at a there's a I, the, one of the articles said that it was only a couple of months ago at a, at a, a stakeholder meeting, like a private meeting, like a Zoom one with Zoom people, and it was a USC thing, I think. And the head of AT and T or uh, I know the Warner Brothers CEO said, "No, we're stick, we're committed to cinema. It's not going to happen." So that was a couple of months ago, and then they backflipped, be probably because, and it's all because of money. It's because they're they're trying it. They've probably the last couple of months been like, "How the fuck are we going to fix fix HBO Max?" I oh, know we'll do this, and so it's a complete disregard for filmmakers and. And and the and the history of the studio they run now, like they should to have those kind of people in place that have the stakeholder power in that company of Warner Brothers, and to them not to understand the history of it. It's kind of like when we're talking about sports, you know, when people come into our teams um, and take control and show absolutely dis- all disregard for the history of our teams, we get mad. And this is kind of the same thing that's happening. Uh, for this the cinema industry is like and i think that's why fans i mean the creators that are involved like villeneuve and and co are rightly mad as artists but me as a fan i'm mad because it it's like the cinema experience is something i i I truly love it's something i've loved since i was a kid and i and i i have a deep love for it it's one of my favorite things one of the things that me and my wife do the most is dates together and i don't want to see i love looking up and seeing that in eight months dune or the next james bond or or the next Ariasta crazy horror movie is going to come out in eight months, and the only way I'm going to see it is in the cinema. So we start working out, you know, it's coming out on Thursday. Okay, we'll go make sure we just clear the slate for that night. Like that, that excitement is something, and like, it's just um, now. It, now it's just like I mean, the thing is, this is actually an America only thing at the moment because everywhere else in the world, we're still going to get a pure cinema release because HBO Max is American. So. Like for me, it actually doesn't affect me, but what it does affect is the there was nothing wrong with HBO Go. There was <laughs> nothing wrong with it. In fact, I liked it a lot more. HBO Go, I loved it. it I used like I used to use your HBO Go when I was living in Eugene. <laughs> exactly, and it was like dark. It was like a dark interface, mm-hmm. and it was like it was like you knew you were getting into something gritty when you got into it just by going on to HBO Go. Yeah. And now HBO Max is purple, and it's like, oh, it's like, oh, it's like we got all these fucking bullshit uh, kind of Pixar movies and shit like that. It's like, fuck you. HBO Go was the shit. You didn't need to change it at all. HBO is not meant for children, and it never should have been. You look at the shows that they produced over the years and the movies they brought in and bought the rights to, to, yeah. sh- to show. That was what made HBO. Now they're trying to be a family bullshit. Dude, what? You're going to beat Netflix and Amazon on that shit? Fuck you, HBO. Like, fucking keep your dark-ass shit and keep making dark shit. (laughs) But they're not doing that. They're fucking placating. And it's also a thing where I think they were bought by somebody. And I don't really know, but now they well, it's have. The same, it's the same deal as this stuff is like. Oh, they're bought by Turner. Yeah, I think. Yeah, and that which is AT and T. So it's like you're bought by. Yeah, fuck that shit. Like, like, like so oh, you've got this. Uh, you this, have all the rights to all of the Adult Swim shows nobody wants to watch, other than Rick and Morty. Congratulations, Rick and Morty is the fucking 
opiate of the masses and a fucking cartoon people look at and like watch and think that they're smart because they watch it it's like no that's like what everybody is watching fuck off like what adult swim used to be which at&t owns it used to be provocative comedy and it used to really challenge the mind but no they had Rick and Morty, and that's the most successful thing ever. So that's all that, that matters. That's ever that Adult Swim has ever produced. So fuck it. <laughs> and like that's, that's a microcosm of what's happening with the film industry. Mm-hmm. Is like they want you to turn out bullshit after bullshit because that's what they think people want, and it's, it actually is what they want. Honestly, mm-hmm. so I can't really get mad at them for it. Yeah, and like I'm not mad about like streaming, and, and you know Denise says it in his little piece as well. Streaming is like a key player and an accepted player and a welcome player in the world, like because it does. Well, it, it has to be, and it and it makes and it makes everything more accessible to everyone. And like if Dune came on Netflix in like a year and a half, like you know, or you know, six months after uh, after it came out in the cinema, like that's what we all love that because then it's like. Yeah, a few months ago you saw it at the cinema, and then you go, yeah, then it's like, oh, it's on Netflix. I get to watch it again. But like, HBO fucking did that shit before the internet was even a thing, dude. Yeah. <laughs> like that, was, like HBO was way ahead of the time on that. Like they bought rights. That, like you didn't see it in the cinema. Well, guess what? In three months you're going to be able to, or three months is probably a little. Like six months you're going to be able to see it. Yeah. Like, and we're premiering it for you. Because you didn't, you missed it in the theater. We're premiering it for you, and like, that's important. Yeah, I think that I think like that kind of model is extremely important for films. Is to be able, like, yeah, I think we just we're yeah, just that's, completely that's missing a, that's out now. That's on the that thing kind is like the the model for film releasing was it worked, and I mean, there's a lot of uh, you know problems in Hollywood beyond what we're talking about. Uh, you know, pe- for payments for people like you know assistance and and whatnot that don't get paid enough but beyond that like the 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 model of the film release and distribution itself was has worked for years and but because there's the this greed and want for now 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 and not to wait not be patient and and work through the process that makes sure that the film is films that want to be released at cinema like there's your dunes and all that stuff like i just keep saying dune because villeneuve has made the big that's the big one that's completely being by this yeah well, the Matrix will, film and i will say uh, the, the the next conjuring movie is in that is in that list um i think uh, i watched the first one because you and laura told me to and i think i yeah. did but maybe i didn't i don't know i'm just looking I watched at- a lot of horror movies in october that's for sure <laughs> Uh, I'm just like, more than we talked about, for sure. Like, I'd watched, like, probably, I would say, at least 20-plus. Yeah, I mean, you were even, like, you you would have watched more than me in the end, because I just, I mean, you're... Well, you were telling me the ones to watch, yeah. or Laura was, and, like, or, like, somebody was, or, like, I wanted to, like, pluck and pull from yeah. what I'd heard, but, yeah. Yeah. So, like, because The Conjuring 2, like, this is, like, a film I actually have a, a specific memory of seeing in cinema with like a packed out crowd as the conjuring 2 and and those kind of movies are the ones that do genuinely like, the conjuring 2 was a higher budget horror movie i think it was in the 20 30 million possibly but um it made over 300 million um so it's a it's a well like you know horror movies are loved by uh financiers and distributors and like blumhouse and whatnot because horror movies don't cost a lot of money to make generally like like i said and they have legs yeah like people will like them for and re-watch decades them and purchase if they're them good and, yeah um 
So the Conjuring 2, Andrea and I saw on opening night in a packed cinema in the northern suburbs of Adelaide. And, you know, screams. There was, it was the, it was the, it was the, like, uh, typical horror communal experience of seeing a film. And it was wonderful. I mean, we both said that maybe afterwards we'll wait, we'll go find a quieter one just because <laughs> it can be distracting at times. And, and unfortunately, you always get those few that talk too much as well. But the general experience of a horror movie on like of that kind of night is the screams and jumps and the whole cinema jumping together. It was wonderful. And so you got The Conjuring 3, which with the success of Conjuring 1 and 2 and those characters in the world that that's built, I mean, some of the spin-offs have been hit and miss, but The Conjuring itself, the first two movies were very successful and um, and quite good to watch. Um, so the Conjuring Three is going to have a lot of buzz and a lot of there's a that's a box office that's going to make money in normal and so now it's you're cutting the legs off of that one too, and it's just like yeah that 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 movie like Dune I there is there is a concern because the sci high, you know sci-fi genre films can be hit and miss with box office because people don't get them Annihilation got released straight to Netflix in Australia because the 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 distributor got got um, cold feet and thought that the movie was too smart for people, which is um, an, an unfortunate unfortunate insult because Andrea and I actually saw the trailers at the cinema and then a, m- a month later it was like, it's coming to Netflix. And we're like, wait, what happened? So it was, like, <laughs> it was, a, very, it was a very snap decision, but an Annihilation is a wonderful film. It should be seen in cinema because of its... Um, right, stuff. but was it too smart for people? Maybe. I mean, probably, but then this is, I mean, this is a whole other, this is an existential thing I have with humanity in general. It's like, we just need to like get get to smartening people up again we're just a plate play- yeah but i well i disagree with you completely and like i do think like you're not wrong no i mean about I, that. Mean, I, mean, I do think we need to get to educating people again but i don't think it's through a horror movie I, like, no I no that's like- not that's not at all what i'm saying i mean like that's what i'm saying is we need to get to educating people so that then we the people that want to see annihilation and the future annihilations in cinemas then can because we have a social construct in in society that gets people like that we don't have to worry about that anymore that's what i mean i don't mean well i think we're going the other way unfortunately Unfortunately. i agree with you completely (laughs) you know that yeah yeah no i wasn't i wasn't saying that i wasn't saying the the movie is the egg i'm saying that the egg is education and then the movie is the chicken afterwards um and making the assumption the egg came before the chicken um you know but you know that's that's my point is like yeah like, you just threw that out there and that just completely just i don't know it didn't throw <laughs> a wrench and i mean i wasn't it wasn't even an argument my th- whole thing was like yeah i wish more in let me just speak for my country i wish more americans could process good film but well i mean they won't and they refuse to do that. Yeah, and, and it's not no... and it's not like we're speaking out of school here because, like I said, I quoted that that Sorkin article that said the same thing. That that's the fact that the decision was made based on the fact that <laughs> legitimately that the people that they polled that would go to cinema were ones that didn't believe in COVID was like it's just like that is a sad indictment of where we are. But that yeah, is, that and is it's where also... we are, and that's that's where the cinema experience is too. So it's um, but it's yeah. also like such a Sorkin like like throw every single thing away to just like feel holier than thou but you're not wrong like the quote isn't wrong in itself but the quote the quote is annoying if you know what i mean right the quote's annoying in the sense that it's true or in the sense that like that's how the other side views liberals that's why it's annoying is like, hey, he like just literally said exactly what they think 
Yeah. So it's like so there is this dichotomy of like he what he's saying is right, but it's also very self-serving. In yeah, a way. yeah. It's kind of yeah. like the, it's kind of like so the, that's yeah. why people hate that. And I agree with him more in his statement than I do with the other side. About yeah, but you mean people, are, obviously, people, but, are people on the other side of Reed Salkin's statement and say, oh, it's your typical fucking liberal doing... Saying, exactly. Yeah. Okay, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, we, yes, yeah, it's exactly. kind of like... That's what, it is a great, like, I, I've watched The Hunt a couple of times recently since it came out finally, and that movie does yeah, a, yeah, yeah. That movie does a very good job of playing both sides, like the extremes of both sides of, like, the fact that you're holier than now liberals is just as annoying. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I get what I get. Well, again. I think Get Out does it perfectly. I think get out like by yeah. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. mean, we've never done get out. Oh, we like, will. We will. <laughs> yeah, maybe in a, like like a couple of years though. Like anytime we do get out, I feel like it'll be too soon because it'll be like two white guys being like, "We have to do get out." <laughs> but get out does do I would, it. I would have like, voted. Does, I would have like, voted. Do the liberal. I would have voted for Jordan well. Peele for best director a third time if I could. Yeah. I didn't love it as much as you, but like uh, that's a whole different thing. And like, yeah, no, no, it's a good, it's a great. He listens like, to me now. I'm racist because I didn't like it as much as David, but like, <laughs> it is what it is. No, Jordan feels like you hear him. He he loves talking about like that kind of social commentary behind it. He, I don't think he cares about. I liked us more than Get Out. Us is like um, us is like a lot more divisive because some people just didn't like. People were expecting get out again and he's done something completely different but i liked it more i really like us grows on me every time i watch it get out i love straight away us i really enjoyed the first time but i was like i need to watch it again and now that i've watched it a couple of times and um on blu-ray since i'm like i just love it i, I mean beyond it's just uh you know lupita should have got nominated for that dual hey, role as well post break talking post break i'll say me watching us this year yeah, yeah. that was a discovery i fucking love that discovery um and I didn't want to see it because it did get like backlash because it wasn't quote unquote. I'm doing quote unquote mm -hmm. um, on the digital pod. Um, it wasn't as good as Get Out, but I, you know, it wasn't supposed to be the sequel to Get Out. It was a direct like it's a complete, it's nobody a, like yeah. nobody says that shit about like. Well, actually, everybody says that about like, oh, it wasn't Goodfellas with Scorsese, but it's like whatever. <laughs> it's like whatever. Like they I, have. I fucking love like, Casino, by the way. Like I think I rewatched Casino. I don't. I think Casino is not good. <laughs> See, and, I don't know why. I think there's something about it that just I I enjoy watching. So I would love to do. That's not me saying. That's that, where that, we both agree that. a popular movie is bad. And we go in on it. I would love to do that. Oh, we'll keep, honestly, instead we... of like a movie we both like, I would mm. love to do that because I don't. And Casino could be it, but you like it, and I, I don't like really it. But then at the same time, I, I do get the fact that Goodfellas is like is the. It's not even that. I just don't think Casino is that good. Yeah. In the Scorsese like hierarchy, yeah, I don't think it's that good. I think it's boring i think it's long i think it's like i think they're people are overperforming. i've seen i've seen everything you just said as we said about the irishman recently which i haven't even i haven't even seen but um 
Well, we'll get to the like. Yeah. Well, we'll get to the films didn't of twenty twenty. Didn't it take you like four goes to watch The Irishman? I finish. I started. I remember you watched like forty, mi- 40 minutes of it after we got back from Tavern. <laughs> I think you tried. I tried. I tried. <laughs> I watched the yeah, and I. I'm not uh, shitting on the Irishman because I haven't seen it. I just I've heard those quotes said about it. So yeah. I yeah. Well, I was in a weird place last year, like literally <laughs> one year ago. Like we were pretty close to hanging out one year ago. Yeah, I. But I think I actually flew into a yeah. Yeah, it's about one year ago that we were hanging out. Exactly. Right. And so I was like in the middle of it, and I was just a mess. But we should probably take a break at some point. Well, yeah, the one thing I was going to get to before we, uh, like, to finish up on this um, yes. train of thought is uh, just at, like, and, and it's brief because we don't know what will happen. And, uh, but, you know, the future of how the cinema going experience for us, like, keeping aside, like, I'll bring up a couple of things from that the, the, some of the major chains have said, but... Um, where do you like in you know say if we just go crystal ball and say where where do you think this like the cinema going experience is in three years provided like in three years right, let's put the context that we're going to have vaccines next year and even though COVID's right, going to be right, around right, for a right. while oh, yeah. and we're going to be new normal will just become normal because we're just the world is ch- the world has fundamentally changed things are going to be different but if we're all back to living life as normal as possible in two to three years um yeah, just, you, yeah. yeah, how do you how do you see like the, the world of sin, like the theater, the the physical theater that we can go to and see a movie? Where do you see that world existing in two to three years? I think it's going to be the exact same mm-hmm. as it was before the pandemic. I think the American people have shown that they aren't going to ever stop their daily routines. Maybe they did a little bit. But once they can get back to their daily routines or their weekly routines, and their weekly routines include seeing a movie on Friday mm-hmm. with their loved one or whatever, that's going to happen. Yeah. Selfishness is always going to override everything in the American system. So film isn't going anywhere. People are still going to go to movies. People are still going to movies. Yeah. It's the thing. Like, I live in a blue state, an extremely blue state. I happen to live in a very red town. <laughs> so I picked poorly. <laughs> but people are going to go back to normal. It's just going to go back to normal. It, it really is whenever it really does go back to normal. And I, I don't think people understand how long it's going to take for it to go back to normal. But I do think it is going to go back to normal. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I guess I'm hopeful for that. I think, like, I I, I don't think cinemas won't die because people, there's enough people out there that actually do enjoy the the experience. So we'll, we, the cinemas will be fine. I think there'll be a changing landscape of, like, the big chains are um, obviously have been struggling. So, I mean, fuck them. Yeah. Let's go fuck indie. Let, not even indie. Let's no, go like you, fucking bunch of like triple A fucking like distributors. Let's go like no, let you, them you, you fucking st- make money again instead of rather than everybody make money. Yeah. I just, you still need your big, you, you still need cinemas around that people can access. And that's what, um, you know, the new, yeah, but the, the fuck new, that, too, kind of. In a way, fuck No, no, no. He, let, hear me out. The new Beverly in that Tarantino cinema is a great indie art house cinema that does double features of classic films as well as as well as well g- 
good new films. It's not going to show, they're not going to show certain movies there that still do deserve the theatrical release. So you need different kinds of chains showing different kinds of films to make, yeah, so you need those. You're not going to get, like, you're not and you're not a Marvel fan, that's fine, but the, the, the Marvel movies are going to exist and they help they help the ecosystem of, of Hollywood. You need your chains showing those. So that's, I don't think, I'm not saying those chains are, gonna, are going away. I think there will be, there might be some changes in who who the big stakeholders are there and you might see some of the some of those some of the because there's a lot of them around like you feel like you know every mall every second mall might have one of those cinemas nearby or something like that so do you might I wish maybe, that's how it should be in my opinion though yes but then, like, you, then then you need big stakeholders that run those because you can't you, indies you can't yeah do not, you not every cinema is going to that's just the way that's <laughs> i get what you're saying but you're gonna you're you're a you need an entire change in the in America to make that happen, and that's not happening right now. Not happening under Biden. So <laughs> you're gonna have to. We're gonna have to just find a way to help to, to, for those cinemas to survive. I'm just kind of saying that because I know AMC as basically they took a hit. Like they took a hit. Yeah, fuck them. Yeah, fuck I them. Get that. Let me finish. <laughs> I yeah, I won't. Though. No, but what you've got to understand. Fuck them. Yes, but these cinema chains exist and provide a purpose in the in the in the in the whole system, and they need that you need these ones until you get to a point where he, I'd love every one of those big houses to be privately owned as well, but it's not gonna not gonna happen. Like, as in pri- indie privately owned, not privately owned by a big company. Um, but that's not gonna happen now. You know, we've you know when you vote in someone that's more progressive, maybe, but you're not going to, that's an entire America infrastructure thing. That's going to have to see that change happen. Um, and it's cool to see like, you know, Facebook's getting sued um, to try to break up their monopoly. So those are the kinds of things that need to happen to trickle down. And oh make, my make it happen I'll you. run head first with a licked battery into Facebook's fucking bullshit server farm. I'll do it. <laughs> you just tell me where to run. Uh, it's, I assume it's somewhere in, uh, Silicon Valley. <laughs> They'll find it. <laughs> <laughs> that is a great picture in my mind, actually. But yeah, um, yeah, no, I think, we'll, I think cinemas will be fine. It's just going to be a changing face of who the major players are. And, and yeah, like, like you said, I do agree that I want to see more indie cinemas, but at the same time, I do understand that you're not going to have all those ones are not going to show a lot of the films. Like, I don't even know if the new Bev is going to show Dune, even though it's still a great film. Like they've they've just got their own, they they've got their own style of sh- movies that they program, and they don't. It's often older ones as well as obviously Tarantino. <laughs> like Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, obviously got shown there. But yeah, it's just you need. We there's going to be a changing face of who, how many are around. I think possibly, um, you might see a few shut. I just don't know. But cinema will survive, and that's what the. The biggest thing I've seen now that that has made given me hope is the reaction from the creators. If you just had all of them sit down and say nothing, it would have been like, well, they've completely, you know, unfortunately taken over by the corporate system. But when you've got these directors coming out and basically saying a big fu to the distributors of distributing their own film, it shows that the the creators are still passionate about. I mean, I didn't think they weren't, but the passion is big enough for them to come out and risk their careers. And Denis will be fine, but it is still a big risk to, you know, like directors when you're making a film of that stature and like this Dune is his kind of magnus opus in a way. Like he's made, he's gone Blade Runner Arrival. He's got like Blade Runner is a pretty big property, but it's still like kind of under, like underperforms because people, not enough people go to see that because again, that's kind of in the same annihilation realm. 
Dune is like a magnus opus for him that's built up from these other films that he's done. And he's now come out and said, F you to the studio, in, in an essence, that is about to release it. So it's a big uh, risk to his career or where he wants to go because maybe some projects that are in the forefront of his career now get taken away depending on how the reactions go. So it is good to me to see that these creators are reacting the way out they are because they're trying to protect the art form and and that's what gives me hope that we'll be fine in the cinema world like everything's changing the world's changing like travel is going to be different for the next few years sports is obviously different right now and will be for the next few years we're getting that's what i yeah so everything is changing i want to talk off air about stuff but yeah <laughs> but yeah but i don't want to like like we're never gonna argue or like you and i have argued a lot <laughs> and we probably will argue a lot forever. That's why we're really good friends. But uh, yeah, I would like I would love to talk to you off air about some stuff. <laughs> All right, we'll get to it. But um, yeah, that's a. Did you have any other? And maybe we get to it on the second half of this podcast. You know, maybe we do. I I literally don't know what you're talking about, so I guess we'll find out. Exactly. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> I, i'm just like i don't know what don't i'm scared help me people um do you have any any, any other thoughts on that or we take a break and get to a, a movie i movie? agree with you and i think like we're absolutely in like a very weird place but i don't think there's any answer like i think i think like my initial reaction was a little bit of like the, the initial reaction when news like that comes out is a bit of fear because it's just a big change but i think when you once you sit back read about it and just go look this is big news and it's going to change the industry fairly fairly in a in a significant way but it's not gonna you know people the initial reaction articles were like is this the death knell of cinema i don't think it i just don't think it is because of course not of course not that's like oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. the fucking people posing those questions have more to gain from the question than they do the oh, answer it's, so it's, fuck it's, that it's, shit it's, 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 and like yeah, I, I like. All right, yeah, let's cut. I don't want to <laughs> pontificate. Like, yeah, nobody we're, needs we're, to listen to me. Like, literally walk through like why that question is bullshit and why the journalist was. Yeah. Why the journalist was looking for a quote instead of yeah, whatever. Yeah. All right, we'll take a quick break and we will get back to some more fun with them. Um, actually, talking about some movies. That we enjoyed discovering this year that has been uh, 2020 that has taken five years to get through. All right, we'll be back. Great picks. I'm ready. All right. Second half. Uh, it's, a, it's a different kind of pod, but we're still doing the same intro to the second half. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, so as well, I think we opened up saying how weird this year was and that um, in future years of the podcast, I think we'll hopefully enjoy doing a list of favorite films we saw, but this year we didn't really get to see many because of um, varying reasons. There was plenty of content released and streaming, but we didn't see too many. Like, especially with the podcast, we were trying to discovering a lot of. Um, I mean, a lot of them were more recent, but not this year, and ones we'd seen before. But we wanted to do a little bit of talk about the movies that we saw for the first time this year in 2020. So whether they were ones that you know I, I did manage to see a couple at the cinema that were released this year, so I'll talk about them, the ones that I enjoyed. But then we can also talk about movies that we. We discovered for the first time, whether it be... Um, there's a, cut, a few that we just pushed to each other for the purpose of the podcast. Um, our, mo our most recent um, podcast was... I guess I can start with a movie discovery for me. was um, when we did the podcast, The North Dallas 40, uh, two weeks ago. 
That was. Oh, yeah. Two weeks ago. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I still think that's the best football movie ever made, let alone sports movie. Yeah. But that's a whole different thing. Um, I don't completely remember the podcast that we did about (laughs) it. And I was sober for it, is the weird thing. No, you you weren't. You were definitely not. Damn it. (laughs) I think it was after that you were like, I'm going to take a couple of weeks off. (laughs) I just have a hard time remembering when we do podcasts. Yeah. Um, I haven't had a drink until today, until like since um november 30th yeah or maybe it was so i really maybe, don't it could have so been, we- been three weeks ago that we did that we did it it might have even been before, around thanksgiving time possibly um it might have been right at like the sunday after thanksgiving but like mm. yes yeah and so it's embarrassing now that i'm already drinking again <laughs> after that but uh yeah i i if you're gonna like we haven't really dictated what we're talking about in this final segment, but uh, I did say we're talking about what we talked about and it's like films that you really discovered in this year films that you saw for the first time in 2020 that you enjoyed, I guess, because I'm not going to bring up films that I didn't enjoy, but (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I might later, but uh, yeah, well, if you, if if this is the first time you saw North Dallas Horty, I would love to. Yeah. That that immediately goes to the like, you know, in, if I'm gonna, if I not that I'm making a top five or anything, I'm just gonna mention a few over the next half an hour or whatever that we just enjoyed for the first and ones that, not just enjoyed but like actually were memorable experiences when you watched them first for the first time. And North Dallas Forty was one of those because I, like I said on the podcast, it was like I wasn't exactly sure what I was getting into with how the movie was uh, promoted via the poster and even its taglines, but um, it was a lot more serious. Even though it was quite funny at times as well, it was a lot more serious and 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 quite ahead of its time and still feels. You know, obviously, the look of the film is is of its time, and but the acting is really great, um, and and the, the the film itself and the story it's telling is is incredibly ahead of its time, and still even to this day, I think is a bit ahead of its time because we still don't we still don't as fans or the, the general fan base often doesn't understand uh, the the sacrifices uh, and just the the intense pain and and what the kind of torture we put football players through for the in- entertainment of the masses. And I think that film, like North Dallas 40 does such a great job of doing that. And um, so it was a memorable first watch for me because I had a really great discovery this year that I'm thankful that you, 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 you cause you, you, we'd circled doing that one a few times and you finally said, let's do it this week. It's middle of the football season. Let's just do it. Um, I just got tired of not doing it. And like, it was, it was like, an it, itch you needed to scratch, I guess. Yeah. It was like, and well, it's also like, you and I both like we're always like so touchy with each other about like hey like what film should we do like we just did a really good podcast on this film and really broke it down like what's a film where we could really do something and I thought North Dallas 40 was a film where we could really break it down like beyond the like just watching it as a film Mm -hmm. yeah which I think we did it got like yeah there's a lot of um varying threads we went down with the response to the film so and like just and going back to like the core like it was just such a memorable first watch like you know these days with watching film like if i'm watching a movie and i'm not getting like i'm not getting into it you start just you know you'll just like if a notification pops up on your phone you'll get distracted and 
And that, and you know, I mean, a brief aside to the first part of the pod, like that's why I enjoy the cinema experience because you have to turn, you you should turn your phone off, and I and I do respect that. But yeah, like when I'm watching a movie at home, I try not to, you know, my phone will be there because you know if I get a work call or something like that, I do glance over just quickly to see that it's not not the bosses, aka the parents calling me saying, uh, you know, or the security company saying the security alarm's gone off. So I have to always have my phone kind of. Unless I'm in a situation I can't, I, I do keep an eye on it. But I only briefly look and see the notifications here. It's not important to look back at the film. But if it's a film that, um, you know, the interest is waning and you're like, this, this film really isn't doing it for me, then I'll start looking at the notifications and get distracted. Right, right, yeah. It doesn't, that didn't happen with North Alice 40. I was into it, you know. It was, well, I think I did get a phone call at one point um, and, I, and I paused the movie. That's like I took the effort to pause it because I was like, no, I need to stop it here and get back into it. So, like, that's that, that's the mark of a good first watch experience for me is that the fact that I and that's what film should be is you know if you're watching a film you enjoy and are getting into you should it should just naturally keep your attention and, and North Dallas 40 is quick smart and, and incredibly written and, and keeps moving as well it doesn't really slow down so it was a great first watch and it's one that I watch time and time again now it's got it's kind of gone into that stable of when I want to watch a sports movie I've got you know I've got like you know your Bull Durham's and now that North Dallas 40's in there of that stable of my re rewatchable sports films which is great so i'm thankful that you brought that one up for me absolutely and uh i guess i can like uh i'm not gonna remember film names at this point so uh i feel bad about it but uh there are film like scary films especially in the october era when we were doing this podcast where you led me down a road where I think there were great films. Um, obviously, if you're asking me like the best films that I saw of 2020, like it all goes back to like 2019 films that I saw for the first time. Yeah, you know yeah. whether it's Parasite or you know the remake of Little Women or Jojo Rabbit or anything of that. Like obviously, those are mm-hmm. the best films that I've seen. But like to say the films that like I really brought into myself, like. I think you led me down a lot of great ways. Um, I can't even remember the name of a lot of them is the thing is like, I've watched so many films because it is 2020 and it is a thing where like, I like went to you or I went to Biggie and I was like, please tell me a movie to watch Mm -hmm. tonight. And, um, you know, uh, I can't even think of the name of it. Um, the one with Russell Crowe and, uh, Christian Peele. 310 to Yuma. Oh, yeah. The, so the Western. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I yeah, mean, yeah, that was a great film Yuma. that I felt saw for the first time this year. And, like, I can't say, like, I watched a bunch of classics this year that should have been, like, the best movie I ever saw. And mm-hmm. the only one that really stood out to me was To Catch a Thief by Alfred Hitchcock. Mm-hmm. So maybe watch that one. I think that was great. I watched that maybe in June or July of this year. But love that. Like, I love the setting and love the filmmaking of it. So, um, yeah. So, what's the best you have seen? Or what, like, what's the best, regardless of year? Oh, so have my favorite s- film that I saw for the entire year for the first time? Like, yeah, the, absolutely. The, like, yeah, the, yeah, best, yeah. the best film? I mean, like, it's I guess it's cliche since it won the Oscar, but I think Parasite, the... 
Oh, Parasite was amazing. The must, and we'll the do most, that at some the point. Most, yeah, we will. And it's one that I've, yeah, that I think we will do at some point. We'll probably do it in like five years, though. Yeah. Like, yeah, because there's, like, there's, a, there's a few foreign language films I would like to get into, but um, it's just, you've got to go into it with the, um, yeah, the right, right research and backing. Cause, but um, no, Parasite, I think, as far as like a masterfully made film and being that I, I obviously, I watched it around Oscars time because obviously we were. You don't, you know, you're you're the same as me. We try to watch the films that are going to be in the in the discussion, so that we have some context to watching the watching the awards. Um, yeah, I think for a masterfully made film, written film, uh, fo- photographed film, like it's just a beautifully looking film. Um, the technical achievement of that, because I think the house was designed like the entire that was all designed for the film. Um, like I said, the acting was wonderful. Like the, all the actors in it. Um, well, I don't know any of the names. I know the main, the the main, the dad of the family. Like he's been in a lot, um, but then the 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 kids in the films and the, even the young the kids in the family that they're taking over the house. Everyone in that film was wonderful, and then yeah, just the uh, yeah the entire thing was just such a masterfully constructed film and and was well deserved of its Academy Award. And any uh, and I think it's it's a it's a testament to Parasite that in a year that you and I have talked about this a few times on the podcast because we've done episodes on once upon a time in hollywood and jojo rabbit and i can't remember in 1917 now so there's three different films that we really enjoyed from this year and there was a couple of others that were in that um best picture um i think this is one of the best years um for best picture of all time in my opinion yeah so the fact that you could have a film like parasite that comes in as the foreign language entry that's into that fucking won yeah and and it already interrupt you but it fucking won yeah that's insane. To come out in a year that, you know, uh, Tarantino's done arguably his, in a in a stable of films. Magnum that, Opus, yeah. Yeah, a stable of films that he's got that's pretty damn impressive that he does a film like that. And and it gets it gets it gets its own it gets its recognition and uh, and I think it was it was a short price like I think I think um yeah like we've said it didn't know. get its recognition on the Oscar stage yeah I don't Apart think from I, the, I mean the acting award Brad Pitt yeah. won yeah Brad Pitt won yeah but um yeah uh, Bong I don't know if I, Bong Joon Ho I assume is as close Bong Joon Ho yeah, yeah um I I know how his name I I apologize if I didn't pronounce it correctly but yeah he he that's what's amazing about it is in this year of incredible films it 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 won and this and besides your uh your outside voices that um just don't understand you know um the that the film deserved it that it, it got widely praised as a as a worthy winner which you know some years do get a bit controversial but this this year i think most people just went no it's that deserves it and and the film um yeah is uh i haven't rewatched it since the first time i watched it but that's only because i haven't I've been looking for a good release of it on um, physical media so I can put it in. I want the 4K version so I can put it in and enjoy it to its fullest. Because, you know, I, I could I streamed it for the first, but streaming still compresses the picture a little bit, so I want to watch it with the full, you know, the full experience with the home theatre. But, yeah, it's one I can picture re-watching because it's just so captivating in everything it does. So, yeah, that, that for me, like there's a few others that I, I watched this year that I'll bring up, but as far as every aspect of it that you asked, like as far as the just the straight out best picture I saw, obviously it's very, it's a bit of a cliche to pick, pick the best picture winner, but um, I think it's fully deserving. So, Yeah, absolutely. But I, I do think that this year season, whatever you want to call it, because it feels like a season back way, way back then 
um, is that this is like the best bit of film to have ever selected from, really. Yeah, because yeah. like there were so many great films. Mm-hmm. Whether you want to talk about it straight up, just the screenplay or just what they actually brought to the film, like two years ago or maybe even three years, what whatever it was, it's like Green Book won the best film. Mm-hmm. Like seven of the films would have be- beaten that, mm-hmm. in my opinion, in twenty twenty. And they were 2019 films, obviously, but, you know, I, like, this was such a huge year for cinema. Mm-hmm. I think we don't really understand how important it was. The fact that, like, seven of these films out of the nine could have won the Best Picture and nobody would have been upset about it. Yeah. Yeah, and, that, and that's what's wonderful about it and why, um, yeah, I think just... Uh, the achievement just uh, and it's what's funny sorry i was mincing my words and my thoughts but it's what's funny is they're going into next year where, it's, where it'll be an unprecedented year for oscars because we're going to have such a weird year like they'll have to be more it's going to be a mess i think they've changed their selection criteria based on the fact that you know you need to get some movies in there um yeah i well you since you asked me i'll ask what's your what so what's your best picture like with the same parameters that you just asked me before we go into ones that we just enjoyed that you saw this year for the first time, I guess. Um, oh, the best film I saw, not based on when it was shot. Well, I guess or... this Parasite was twenty nineteen, so you know. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, obviously, like, if we're gonna talk about the first, the, if we're gonna talk about the best movie I saw this year, it's gonna be like, you know, at least four of the nine that. Mm. You know, I watched a bunch of those in February. Right yeah, I think, I think you, even, you, actually even got, happened. you even got through a few that I didn't. I know, I know that because you got through all of them. I so. saw the, I saw the top nine. Yeah, for the best picture, and um, you know, I ranked them, and Parasite was four, so it mm. shows what I know. But uh, that is honestly how I enjoyed them. I do think Once Upon a Time in Hollywood was the best thing that I saw. But if you want to talk about 2020... Well, yeah, because I, 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 Once Upon a Time in Hollywood for me is like exempt because I saw it middle of last year. So <laughs> that's why it's the only reason I wouldn't have brought it up this year. I literally saw it in August of 2019. Yeah, so sorry. it's so far. But like 2020, it just presents this insane landscape where you don't really know like like what movie was made there. It was just a thing. Yeah. Like, honestly, like, I can't really speak to the best movie of 2020, and you and I spoke off air about this, or I, well, I at least I did you about it. I was like, I don't like, I don't have a good best movie of 2020, honestly. Well, best like, movie that you saw this year, like it could be any, like it could be one that you saw that was made in 1960, but you saw it for the first time this year, I guess. Well, if you want to talk about that, I'll talk about um, To Catch a Thief. I think is yeah. one of uh, Alfred Hitchcock's. Hitchcock's best films that doesn't really get a lot of play Mm -hmm. but to catch a thief like just from a filmmaking standpoint and just to um like I think I I don't know if you watch that film and tell me you don't like it then yeah we can talk but I think it's a great film I think like it transports you to exactly to where it wants to be and it's way ahead of its time, and I think it's very good. 
Yeah, I'll have to I'll have to add it to the list because I haven't seen it. But yeah, I do like Hitchcock. I've obviously gone into with like watched Psycho plenty of times, and and that is a masterfully ahead of its time film in many ways as well. Um, but um, well, you know me, I went through my Newman phase. Yes, which yeah. I think you should watch every Paul Newman phase, and obviously um, Harper is one of my favorite films of all time, and mm-hmm. we haven't done that yet, and uh, I don't really want to force you to do it um, ever. Um, it's just a good movie. It's just a good movie. We will do it because I like. I know that you like it. And there was there was a week that you were you were thinking about it. And I said no. If you want to do it, tell me. And then you, I think you came up with another one. So we didn't. But um, yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah, that's been twenty twenty though. It's like because there's always been something more important to talk about. And like Harper is just like it's good. It's just I don't know. I like those old sixties movies, like yeah. from or fifties sixties movies from Hitchcock and whoever did Harper, I don't even know. Like that, like I also miss films when they used to like, it didn't matter who was directing it. It was like, you know, you get Paul Newman. Oh yeah. Like, so you're yeah. Gonna, like direct him to do great shit and he'll do great shit. So it's like way different than what we're dealing with now. Um, where it's all about directors. So, yeah, I guess it's always like films have always needed great direction. Cause there's probably plenty of films. It really has, but yeah, I don't think of... Harper has a great director and it's one of my favorite films, but I'm gonna, I, I'm you know, Google... what the fuck do I know? I'm going to Google it now just to make sure it's not like someone great. <laughs> it's definitely not. I, I, it's definitely not anybody that you, we've ever heard of. Like Harper is an amazing film in, um, I'm gonna fill time while David um, looks it up. But uh, it... Harper's got a hundred hundred percent Rotten Tomatoes. That's pretty good. Yeah, I know. I tried to say that to you, and then I was like, "This is exactly why Tomatoes is wrong." Well, that's why it's a, that's <laughs> why it's a fun, so many things. That's why it's a fun fun segment. But yeah, um, Jack Smite was the name of the director. So yeah, I can't say. <laughs> yeah, who the fuck is that guy? That's, I mean, that dude sounds like a guy yeah, from a Pinchot yeah. novel. He had a good. He had. He's directed. He's got twenty films in his filmography, so he's done. Uh, good for him, dude. But like fucking Harper, like he's not fucking Hitchcock, you know. No, I know, but I'm I'm still I'm just trying to uh to satisfy the directors guild by saying he still he still knew what he's doing. Um, oh, absolutely. I think the directors guild should agree with what we're doing. Yeah. Well, the right direct now. the directors guild is definitely um. Has sent a letter. Uh, please explain to as uh, in in relation to what we were talking about the first half. So, um, yeah. Uh, where was it? I so, what's it. your bet? What? What? Well, sorry, no, I've already. The, uh, what did you? What did you discover in twenty twenty? Um, dis- discover like older film. I mean, I. <laughs> it doesn't have to be older. No, no, Just I. Like, got, no. Well, so the next one I was going to bring up. But I'll I'll bring that up after I talk about this one because I'll I'll talk about a discovery because I went down a uh, rabbit hole of I I started physical media collecting a lot harder again and like like going after actually good distributors that do good releases of older films particularly obviously I'm a genre film fan so I like sci-fi and horror. It's and true, a, he did this. Yeah, I saw the Snapchats in yeah. the pictures. Yeah, there's a there's a lot. I've got a nice collection building here, but. Um, a random, so this is for the horror fans out there and particularly slasher fans, I guess. There's a really good, um, 1987 slasher called The Edge of the Axe, which is like one I'd never heard of until I just like read the synopsis and watched the trailer. I was like, this movie looks dope. So I ordered it cause it was like unspecial. 
Um, it's from Arrow Video. You did a re- Blu-ray release, and they're based out of the UK, but you can order them anywhere in the world. I think they have distribution in the US, and then they obviously they ship to Australia. So I got because they're the same region as us, so that worked for me. But um, it's from a sp- like Spanish director called Jose Larraz, and he's like he was a very very did a lot of Spanish films, but then then did a couple of um, US films. And The Edge of the Axe was the more the most successful one. It's actually really it's. It's um, got a twist at the end. I'm not going to spoil anything, but it's got a really good twist where, you know, a character is not what they seem. It's got some fun kills and, like, for slasher fans, and it, and it's set in, like, a fictional, like, um, uh, northern Californian town. So it's, like, a really, like, I think he actually filmed it in Spain, but, it, like, the setting is northern California. So it's got, like, it's got that, like, it's really well, like... So it's basically Oregon. Yes. It's, like, part of the, yeah, 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 so there's, like, a lake and all that stuff, and it's just, like, a, it's, it's a nice-looking film. Um, some fun characters and 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 obviously a good a nice slasher and and some good kills. So it was just like, and it's and I'd literally never heard of it until this year. And then I ordered it, watched it, and I've watched it a couple of times since and really enjoyed it. So that's a good like a lo- like one that not many people may have heard of unless you're in that kind of world of looking up random horror movies. But The Edge of the Axe is a really really fun one. Like it's not. It's not deep or anything, but it does have a good good twist. And um, there's some early use of computer, like it's 1987, and there's characters like talking with com- like like chatting on like computers, like so like yeah, it's um super kind of wacky in that sense. But I, I really enjoyed that one. It was one of my favorite discoveries out of left field this year. So yeah, I just like I can't even remember discoveries <laughs> you know what i mean in 2020 like i've watched yeah. so many films and we've talked about so many films so it's like if you want to like realize my discoveries go back and listen to everything well, I, yeah I'm sorry but I, like i really like have i like, feel like if i'm gonna put words like this could be putting words in your mouth but the week that you watched midsummer and then you were so affected by that one that you then went on to watch that was fucking forever like what was that eight months ago it was like well that was our second episode so yeah <laughs> but then like that weekend you went on and watched hereditary straight afterwards because you were like i have to see this other movie so to me like that seemed like a moment where you were just like holy shit like yeah but like that's me with like man just like fucking listen to our podcast like <laughs> I've talked about a lot of, like, I don't, like, excuse anything that I've ever watched on this podcast. Like, I always talk about it. Yeah, yeah, And, yeah. like, that's the point about it to me. Like, regardless of whatever film or multiple films or whatever topic we're talking about, like, I've always talked about what I'm watching. And I think there are a lot, like, I, like, I watch good shit based on you based on you know the internet <laughs> and everything like i i like i want to watch good shit oh yeah you you are someone that does go out and ask for recommendations like not just for me but i know that you you ask friends for because that's just that's like a very that's part of the like movie fan experiences like you chat to friends and like get their ideas and go oh they, they like this one I, I like them as a person and think they're not completely nuts so i'll watch that movie that's like a cool part of like you know the communal communal cinema experience beyond the sit- sitting of being in a cinema is like uh, the enjoyment of film is like a very communal experience when you enjoy it with friends and talk about it and get recommendations and stuff so it's a pretty cool thing to be like a fan of you know like uh, people like sometimes when you're into movies and but then someone else is just like i like watching movies but i don't get like being a fan of it like you are it's just like that's just you know it's just an enjoyment thing i don't know yeah, it just, like, takes a lot... Like, oh, man, like, 
my big thing through this entire fucking pandemic has been like talking to you and talking to Biggie, who a couple of people who I respect when mm. it comes to film and stuff, and like a couple of people who like don't necessarily like the same films as that, like that, that I do, but like would tell me the films that I need to see. And I think you guys have done okay on that. Yeah. You know, and like that's all I wanted. I just wanted people to give me something like, like, I don't need to like have my mind blown every night. I just need somebody to like tell me a film that they like and I would love to break it down. And I think that's the whole purpose of this podcast. Yeah. Yeah. I will bring up one that actually, uh, the one that came out in 2020 that I thought was really good. And it was like a well-known. Yeah, let's talk about it. Cause I don't really have any 2020. Um, in twenty flicks because I've looked it up and like honestly, yeah, it's and there's, not great. there's a lot like, of. I want to see Mank. I do really want to see Mank, but like I also have to get and like I haven't seen Chicago Seven, mm-hmm. the Trial of Chicago Seven for, you know, the the diehards. But like, I want to see that too. But it's like when you're dealing with a pandemic and you're living on your own, it's like you have to like literally get in the mindset of watching these films and being okay with them (laughs) before you really watch them. Because I know the trial of the Chicago seven from a historical standpoint, I know it. Mm. Like I know how fucked up it is. Like, and so you have to like, whatever. Cause you don't want to, you don't want to watch it. And then like, you know, you want to, you want to watch it. And it's like, Oh fuck, I need to go to a bar and just like process this. It's like, Oh, I can't. So it's like, yeah, (laughs) I can't go to a fucking bar. Well, I could in this fucking show. All right. Let's just go back. let's we'll, we'll just keep it. Let's right. not go there. So my 2020 movie that I did see, and it's, I did go to. The, yeah, let's talk about um, it. Yeah, because yeah. I don't have one. I yeah. honestly don't. Um, the Invisible Man that came out earlier this year. Right, Elizabeth um, Moss. Yeah, and it was really fucking great. Like Lee Winnell, um, is the Australian director of it, who's quite well known. Um, these days, like obviously. Um, him and James Wan wrote and directed, and Lee Winnell also was the, one of the two main actors in the original Saw film. Um, but he's gone on to have a good career the directing. He did um, Insidious, and and has gone on to some. Uh, sorry, he did the third Insidious, but he's involved in them, and um, and just is having a really good career. But then he's gone branching out into directing um, more and writing and directing and getting more confident in it. And he did Upgrade a couple of years ago, which was really fucking good. And well, a, Invisible Man, like, people love that the shit. The Invisible and Man they, was really good because he he took the concept, obviously it's a um, classic Universal series, but he took it and made it modern and actually made a twist on it and, and really investigated the, uh, you know, abuse of women and gaslighting and stuff like that to create that character arc for Elizabeth Moss's character that there's a deeper thing going on beyond just the horror of it. And then... The actual, just the way he filmed it was often, you because of the, it was an invis- how do you make an Invisible Man scary is, it's very much down to your directing technique and there's moments in the film. Well, it's very it, terrifying on its own, in yeah, my but, opinion. But if, you just have well, a, if you just have a stationary camera and you're like, there could be an Invisible Man there, it's like, it's not as, the way he directed it was just like, you know, the camera would be focused on one of the characters and then it would just slowly move like the camera had caught the, caught the gaze of someone, but you couldn't actually see, and it was just... You have to, to understand what I mean. You you'll see it and then understand. But it's just it was very accomplished um, use of how to how to use a camera to tell your story. Um, and and I agree because there's, okay. there's so yeah. many. There's so I absolutely ma- agree 
with you then. Yeah, because yeah, there's so I many, do, so many do. times when the, you don't actually know if anyone's, and it's, you know, maybe nothing happens in that moment. But he's created. It was a building sense of dread and 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 anxiety about what what was going to come, and then eventually, you know, the Invisible Man's around. But um, but yeah, it was a really, really he's around. He's around all of us. He yeah. might be around my apartment. I wish he would, because he might help clean up. <laughs> hey, little, oh, hey. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but no, it was, it was really, uh, really great film. And like he's, um, there's a small connection to his film Upgrade and the companies that are involved in it, which was just a really cool nerd thing as well. But um, it's just a, yeah, a really good cinema experience too. I saw it in the big, the Titan Lux, it's called. It's like the, I try to see films that I know are going to have, because it, it had good sound and, and vision and, and it was just like a great film. That to, yeah. <laughs> Um, and it was actually the last film I saw before everything shut down because the ticket stub I have for that is it says 11th March and that was about it was about that week a couple of a day or two later that shit started really spiraling in Australia and then I think on the 23rd of March is when the nation went into a real hard pretty hard shutdown so what that's 12 days um, which just shows how quickly things spiral but yeah it was the last film until I went and saw I went and saw Freaky and uh, Happiest Season a week and a half, two weeks ago, uh, that was the, literally the last film I saw, and I'm the kind of person I said to you off air, like I go often three to four times a month would be the cinemas in normal times for myself, and especially when Andrea's around as well. Um, but yeah, I hadn't seen a movie in nine months after Invisible Man, so that was a. I was glad to have that one as my last cinema going experience for a, the while because it was a really fun one, and Elizabeth Moss is really great in it, um, and yeah, just a, a really. You know, for a horror, a film that's in the genre of horror, and it certainly is terrifying. It's not like it's not. Yeah, it's just uh, it uses dread and and the can- and and kind of masterful directing to build the dread, which is, you know, it's like a we were talking about Hitchcock. That's something that he did, and um, many of the great horror directors do 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 do. Um, <laughs> <laughs> God damn it! Yeah, uh, I mean, so, I don't want to say. Yeah, but so, yeah, I mean, and, and, and it's it, one of those like, films. Yeah, that I, to catch a thief is a Hitchcock film. Yeah, which, like going back to it, and I watched a bunch of Hitchcock, and I also had a fucking Paul Newman phase, and I will never get out of the Paul Newman phase. Paul Newman is my dude, and he <laughs> will forever live with me as like an actor, like because of Harper, mm-hmm. the film. And um, I'm not saying I watched that for the first time this year because I watched that for the first time in like twenty fucking 17 or 18 and it was just a film where paul newman's like absolute charm like really hit Mm. so it's like so i fucking love paul newman so i had a paul newman phase in 2020 like to go back to like you asked you know what's the best uh film you discovered in Mm. 2020 i had a paul newman phase and paul newman is a fucking great actor and i think he deserves the credit yeah that he deserves like i i mean he's been in a bunch of bad movies too but who hasn't but who hasn't yeah. you know leo dicaprio was in titanic you know i watched life aquatic for the first time this year so did you really yeah i told you that i don't think you told well maybe you did it's been rough. Uh, <laughs> we should probably wrap this podcast up, but yeah. like, and talk off air about that because <laughs> it it's going to be the most important podcast we ever do. Yes, yeah. Um, so, any any closing thoughts on your first time watching Wolf Creek this year? <laughs> I couldn't even finish that sentence. 
Oh shit! Yeah, I forgot the first time I saw Wolf Creek, the uh, head on the stick. Um, the big thing was that I wish it was David's head on a stick, and it was me cutting off his head for making me podcast for an hour about that. And then I had to think about it today because I was like, "Oh man, like we're doing a wrap up episode. Like I have to think about." I was like, "Who died in that episode?" The guy, like, the guy, the dipshit, ended up, like, surviving. And he did. And that makes me feel good about myself. It's like, the dipshit ended up surviving. In 2020, I feel like that's a good thing. Well, that is a, that is a uh, perfect point to wrap up on. The dipshit survives. <laughs> yeah. Oh, these dipshits are surviving, so we'll be back with another... Probably, yeah, the next episode we'll do just uh, we'll pick a random movie that we both enjoy and have some fun and have some beers and um, enjoy the Christmas period with um, just some jolly pints and popcorn. <laughs> Chase just losing his mind right now. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's been a fun year. Yeah, well, we'll be back with uh, another episode soon. But thanks for joining us for a bit of a different one. And uh, yeah. We'll, We'll uh, roll some roll some pints, pour some film. Roll some pints. I'm I'm no, going. pop. I'm going with. God damn it! I was trying to do that ironically, and you just you just like no, you fucked it up. Fucked it up. <laughs> All right. Over. We'll roll some pints, pop some film, and pour some corn. <laughs> Would you go down on him in a heat? <laughs>